Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second to last episode covering the animated adventures of Aang, Sokka, Katara, Zuko, Toph, Momo, Appa, <laughs> Iroh, uh, the Cabbage Merchant, Boomy. <laughs> That's right. It is the second to last episode of the Avatar The Last Airbender animated series finale. We're here. We're here. Oh my gosh, we're here. Part one of the finale. Like, well, technically parts one and two because we are combining them. Yes. But we're still at the end of book three, which is crazy. I am so glad that I get to cover these two episodes because I was watching parts three and four today right before recording. And I started getting like a little emotional. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. at least I don't have to cry on recording. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be another um, another Western Air Temple episode yeah. for me where I'm like taking notes and sobbing as I'm watching the, it was, the episode. Oh man, oh, man. A lot of people are probably wondering if I've changed my mind on Azula. And you will have to wait until next week to find the answer to that. Oh, I was wondering. <laughs> it's called the cliffhanger. It's just good entertainment. That's what I'm told. That's what the internet has instructed me to do. Anyways, that's right. We're talking about book three, episode 18, Sozin's Comet, part one, the Phoenix King, and part two, the Old Masters, or as we like to call it, the beginning of the end. That's right. And as always, before we dive into the episode, we got a couple reviews that we want to read. Yeah, we have um, a bunch today because we are getting more coming in with every day. We thought we were going to finish the U.S. reviews by the end of book three, but that's not going to happen anymore. So we're going to get through a couple today and keep on going with our next episode. So our first one comes from Nico Kaneshiro, who says, A gaggle of stars. Hi, Greg and Acorn. This podcast is so awesome. You guys made me get an iPhone to write a review. Oh my God, Nico. I'm going to stop right there. Nico, please... Please say that isn't true. Please say, please tell us you're being uh, a little cheeky with that comment because if you bought an iPhone just to write us a review, that's ridiculous and you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's, I love it. I'm hoping, I'm praying that Nico means that they just borrowed an iPhone, like a friend or family members that didn't go out and purchase a $1,000 <laughs> device. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So one of the two, either you had an iPhone already, you were going to get an iPhone already, or you're borrowing one. Mm. Those are both fine. But Nico continues to write, this podcast helps me fall asleep and helps pass the time doing homework and chores. Big favor. Could you say hi to Nico and Tracy? No. What are what are we here at your beck and... Hi, Nico and Tracy. How are you doing today? Hi, Nico and Tracy. I hope everything is going well. What did you have for breakfast? Oh, that's really good. <laughs> How's your weekend? <laughs> you got to give them time to respond. Okay, true. Yeah. Okay, true. That sounds great. I wish my weekend went as well as that. <laughs> Any big plans for Halloween? I feel like Dora. I feel like Dora from Dora the Explorer. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Uh, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate the either borrowing the iPhone or buying one, whichever, whichever came first. But um, yep, yep. thank you. Thank you. Thank but you. most importantly, thank you for the review. Yes. And hopefully that wasn't too hard for our editor to edit. <laughs> oh, Rob is just cringing the entire time. I can feel it already. Yep. It's great. It's wonderful. The next one comes from Cora C, aka Jaguar Pelt, and they write the best. I love this podcast with like, I'm not going to count that. I'm going to say 17 exclamation marks. 
<laughs> Me and my sister are both huge Avatar The Last Airbender fans, and we've watched it probably over three times. I always listen to this when I'm doing my homework, drawing, or just when I have the time. Thank you so much for this podcast in another, let's say, 42 exclamation marks. It's not really 42. It's like a dozen. You're overestimating, but I like the drama. It's, that's what it's all about, the <laughs> drama, really. Uh, Cora, thank you so much. We're so glad that we can keep you company during your homework and drawing. What are you drawing? Oh, really cool. That's neat. Can you show us sometime? Yeah, show us when you're done. Sound good? <laughs> Perfect. The bit that never ends. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move right along to our next review who comes from Twi or Twee, who writes, I love it. This is the best Avatar podcast. It is Katara-rific. Smiley face. I love it. Extra points for that. <laughs> I can't find a better Avatar podcast. I found you guys when you put out the Puppet Master and I got caught up in three days. Whoa. Yes, three days. Okay, I'm going to pause there again because is that humanly possible? At this point, we've released, what, 60 episodes, and each one is at least an hour? Uh, let's crunch the numbers on this one. So if we say, <laughs> let, let's say like uh, 66 times, let's say like 1.15 hours each, rough estimate, like we're going to round that out. That would be 75 hours, closer to 76. So if you do 24 times 3, 72. So this is what, this is what that means, though. They listened mm -hmm. at a higher speed. Oh, And now yep. it's possible. Now it's possible. Okay, we believe you, Toy. They go on to write, I cannot wait for Into the Inferno. My top three favorite characters are Suki Yaki. I said a nickname for Suki. Toph and Sokka. I think that lava bending is a type of earth bending, by the way. And then they wrote, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, 50 heart eye and smiley face and love emojis. No, there's like two. Just kidding. Yeah, there's like... <laughs> Shut up, Greg. <laughs> There's actually like 50. There actually I'm tempted is. to count them now. I feel very loved. There's a gaggle of them. By the way, I forgot to say this. Nico, gaggle of stars. Good callback. I love that. Because I think I said a gaggle of guards or something like that in uh, mm. Boiling Rock. So I really appreciate that. Anyway, sorry. Nice. Yes. There's about 1,452 emojis right here. <laughs> no exaggeration. Thank you so much, Thank Twy. you. The next one comes from 4039111086. And they write, best Avatar podcast with three exclamation marks. I can count that much. Three. Mm -hmm. This is such an amazing podcast. I've been listening since Imprisoned. Greg and Acorn have incredible chemistry, and they really draw you into the story with great recaps and fun facts. This podcast was the highlight of my last school year with oh. everything crazy going on. I know. Imagine that, like going through all of that again, but having to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad some people enjoy it. Yeah. I always looked forward to Friday since I would get a new episode of my favorite podcast. As much as I enjoy Avatar Braving the Elements, Avatar, the podcast is still number one. I'm a Spotify listener. So just now finally hopping over to Apple Podcasts to leave this review. Keep up the great work. Oh my gosh. Thank you for going out of your way to write us a review. Thank you so much. And also just too kind. Too kind. We've talked before how we enjoy Braving the Elements too. And you do not have to pick, but we appreciate the love and that you enjoy listening to our podcast too. I feel like picking your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender podcast is like picking your favorite element. They're all great. In yeah. Their own ways. Yeah. Well said. Well, 4039. We're best friends now, so I, I can call them. By Shortened, 39. Yeah. yeah. First name mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank you so much for the five-star review. We appreciate it. And our last review comes from J.D. Vaden, who wrote, 
amazing with another three exclamation points. I love this podcast. More exclamation points. I barely remember watching the show when it aired because I was only three years old, but my parents got me the box set when I was a bit older. I've watched through probably over 15 times in the last 10 years or so, and I'm currently watching through again with my fiance who has never seen it. This podcast has taken me even deeper into the fandom. I've read almost all the comics and I've watched through Legend of Korra twice. Pretty safe to say I'm addicted, and this podcast has deepened my love for the Avatar universe. My top five characters are Zuko, Iroh, Aang, Toph, and Katara. My favorite episode is the Southern Raiders, and my favorite specific scene is Zuko and Azula's Agni Kai. Oh man. Okay, first of all, I hope your fiance is enjoying the show. I love that you're watching it with your fiance. I hope they're enjoying it. And you are enjoying seeing their first reactions too. That is so priceless. And once again, I'm shocked at the timing. We just covered the Southern Raiders and here we are with this review. I know. We hope you enjoyed the coverage of the Southern Raiders. It's definitely one of those episodes for me that's gonna be, I feel like, I'm gonna say this now, in my top five or top 10 out of all Mm -hmm. of the episodes. I can't wait to get to our book recap. I know, I was just gonna say. And see what our favorites are. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been saying all across like every episode, we're like, I really like this one. This will be in my top whatever, but there's a limit to what can be in my top five to 10. So Mm -hmm. we'll see what... Top five. Yeah, so we'll see what hits the... It's the old cut. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. So, 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 so much. Remember, if you want to leave a five-star written review, we will read it right here on the show. If you want to leave one anyways and you don't want us to read it, which has happened once or twice, it's totally fine. You just want to kind of like get the love out there into the universe. Just say so on the review and we'll just skip it. But know that they are all appreciated and we read each and every one of them. And it just brightens Mm -hmm. our day so much. All right. I'm like, sorry, I'm mentally preparing myself (laughs) to dive into the Phoenix King. They're big episodes. Lots to chew. Also kind of phrasing. Sorry. I am ready to read the summary of the Phoenix King. This episode is written by Michael Dante DiMartino and was directed by Ethan Spaulding. This is going to be Ethan's last episode directing for Avatar Last Airbender because it's the second to last, well, technically fourth to last episode. So yeah. Well done, Ethan. What a great run. Yes. Yes. We join Team Avatar back at Ozai's Ember Island vacation home as Aang practices his firebending in front of Zuko, who remains cross-armed and expressionless. More ferocious, the master barks at his pupil. Imagine striking through your opponent's heart. Aang stops his firebending and tells Zuko that he is trying, but the young prince is not hearing it. He instructs the Avatar to roar like a tiger dillo, but Aang's tiger dillo roar sounds more like a lazy slothopotamus. I made that up. Uh, really, I, I looked up the two most lazy animals and I got a sloth and a hippopotamus. I would love to see that animal. I want to see it so bad. After a bit more yelling from Zuko, Aang roars even louder and powerful flames erupt from the Avatar. Zuko nods approvingly. Katara serves the group some cool watermelon juice and Aang tries to dash towards the tree, but Zuko stops and holds him in place, telling him that the lesson is still not over. Suki basically tells Zuko just to like chill out and take a break and take it easy, man. Zuko calls the group a lazy bunch of snail sloths and storms off. Sokka takes a moment to reflect on how the group's behavior has changed and that they have gotten a bit lazy, but he's got just the fix for this laziness. Sokka rips off his shirt and declares, (laughs) Beach party! Sokka would come to that conclusion. 
<laughs> We're being too lazy. Let's goof off in a less lazy fashion. Mm-hmm. I also can't help but notice that now that Zuko has been fully accepted into the group, he's settled into the role of stern instructor. We find out in a little bit that he's coming into the training like this because he feels the pressure of the comet arriving in three days. And everyone else hasn't told him that they're actually just going to pass on it and let it go. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to think about that as a decision we didn't see happen. And I'd like to think that there wasn't a verbal conversation about it, that everyone, because they'd been together for so long, they just kind of like came to this understanding. And Zuko, being the newest member to the group, hasn't quite gotten into that um, nonverbal communication yet with the group. So he's (laughs) left in the dark for sure. Or it was like a conversation between two people. And then those two people shared out with two more people. And then the rest of the group didn't hear. So it's just a classic example of poor communication in a show. I like that better where it's the game of telephone that you said. Yeah. <laughs> just go, just... You just expect everyone to tell the others and then they don't. And no one tells Zuko. Oh, poor Zuko. The gang have their fun on the beach making different sand sculptures and splashing around in the ocean. Aang shows off his Appa sand sculpture. Toph then one-ups the Avatar by using sand bending, which she's been working on, to create a, I'm going to call it a two-scale replica of Ba Sing Se, which includes Earth King Kue and Bosco. Incredible. I know. Amazing. Sokka works vigorously to finish his sand masterpiece, or sanderpiece, no, I'm not going to say that anyways, which is a less than flattering rendition of Suki. (laughs) It's about um, about at the level of his artistic skills, how they go. You know, we've seen his rendition of Appa and it looked like um, a furry cotton ball with sticks sticking out of it. So this is on the same level for Sokka, I'll say. I love how his art skills have just remained consistently bad. Everyone's developed in almost every (laughs) way except Sokka and his art skills. Yes. (laughs) Yep. The group laughs and Suki thinks it's sweet and is not offended by what looks like a melting Jabba the Hutt sand sculpture. Accurate. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, a fire blast comes from beyond the beach. Aang looks up to see Zuko launching fire attacks at the Avatar and destroying all of the beach funtivities. Katara rejoins the group from her ice surfing, and Sokka tells his sister that Zuko's gone crazy and completely destroyed his wonderful, perfect, beautiful sand sculpture of Suki. Oh yeah, and he's also attacking Aang. The group runs off to see the events unfold. I love Sokka's skewed priorities. Yeah. Like, (laughs) consistently. Again, very consistently Sokka. Yep. Also, it's... I thought it was so heartwarming and just a joy to see the gang acting like regular kids at the start of this episode. They're hanging out. Yeah, they're training, but then they go play on the beach and make sand sculptures and surf. It was just really nice to see them doing something that wasn't focused on their final goal. Yeah. And it kind of brings you back to almost like a book one mentality where things were a little less serious. They could kind of like just relax. Like we've, we know they've grown. We've seen them physically grow as well as mentally and, and through their skills, but they're still kids. It's only been a year since the events of book one to put it in perspective mm-hmm. for everyone. So yeah, they're going to like goof off a little bit. They're going to kind of like have fun. So I like that. I, I yeah. agree with you. I like that. Back with the duel of the fates, Aang leads Zuko to a nearby <laughs> rooftop and warns Zuko to knock it off or he will blast the prince away. Zuko welcomes the threat. Zuko blasts fire at the Avatar, who then slides into the house below. Aang quickly hides behind a dresser when Zuko breaks the roof with firebending and drops into the room. The prince then takes a fighting stance and looks around. Aang kicks the dresser at Zuko, who quickly destroys it. The Avatar then runs into the hallway and Zuko follows him, bending fire around the Avatar until he has had enough 
and air bends a strong gust of wind at the prince who is sent flying out of the house. Everyone approaches Zuko and Katara scolds the firebending master saying that he could have hurt Aang. Zuko yells at the group all about how they're just kind of lazing around when Sozin's comet is only days away. Everyone just kind of looks blankly at Zuko, which only confuses the prince further. Aang admits that they have a new plan, kind of. They are going to wait until after Sozin's comet comes and then attack. Aang acknowledges that he needs some more time to master firebending. And Toph chimes in that his earthbending isn't groundbreaking either. There's your pun. You're all welcome. <laughs> Sokka admits that if Aang goes up against the Fire Lord now, he will most definitely lose. Katara finishes the thought by saying that the whole point of fighting Ozai before the comet was to stop the Fire Nation from winning the war. But they already kind of won when they seized control of Ba Sing Se. So things can't possibly get any worse. Yeah. You know, for an entire show that's focused on the importance of training Aang and getting him ready to face the Fire Lord before the comet, their plan of letting the comet pass is actually really pragmatic for a show. It's kind of interesting that they, in this episode, dropped their plan and then are put back on track with the information that Zuko provides. But I liked that. It was kind of realistic. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it, to be mm. honest. Like, it was, they were just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're not ready. So why would we do it? We could die. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. Sure. So Katara's like, yeah, we've we're got a new plan. We're just not going to attack until after the comet because things can't get any worse, Zuko. And Zuko's mm. got news for them. Way to tempt fate, Katara. Yes, yes. So Zuko tells them about the events of the war meeting that he almost missed in the day of Black Sun. And for anyone who might have forgotten about that, that was the one that Azula purposely didn't tell him about. And just is like, yeah, mm -hmm. of course you're invited. You're the prince. Why would you not be invited? But she had the little smirk, the Azula smirk on her face. At least in my memory, she does. He was glad mm -hmm. that his father had finally accepted him back. Because this was the point. This is everything that he wanted. He wanted to be involved with war and politics and just, you know, be accepted by his father. At this meeting, the generals discussed the rebellions inside the Earth Kingdom and that they must be stopped. General Shainu suggests sending more troops in to combat the rebellion. Ozai looks at his son and notes that Zuko has lived among the people and asks for his expertise on this matter. Zuko explains to the generals and his father that the people of the Earth Kingdom are strong, proud, and capable of enduring anything as long as they have hope. After hearing these words, Ozai twists the train of thought and now believes that he must destroy the Earth Kingdom's hope. Azula suggests burning down the Earth Kingdom and Ozai agrees. He decides to use the power of the comet to permanently crush the Earth Kingdom, just as his grandfather used its power to wipe out the air nomads. They will rain fire from the war balloons and burn the world to ashes. And from those ashes, a new world will be born with Ozai as the supreme leader. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, that is that is indeed bad news. Yeah, that's not good. You know, some news that would have been important to maybe communicate to the greater group rather than just assume. But, you know, everyone was assuming in this episode. <laughs> There's a lot of assuming going on here. Like everyone assumed that Zuko knew the new plan. Zuko assumed that there was the old plan because mm -hmm. to Zuko's credit, I feel like I don't stand up for Zuko often enough. And I'm sure there's someone who binge listened to us and is like, Greg, you stand up for him all the time. I honestly don't remember. I feel like I just stand up for Sokka and Toph mostly. <laughs> to Zuko's credit, he kind of like, he didn't know to inform them that this horrifying plan, he probably didn't want to make anyone more anxious or anything like that. So he just kind of was like, all right, let's just go as planned. And then eventually 
they won't have to know about the army of war balloons that are just going to like scorch the earth. Yeah, because if they defeat the Fire Lord within those three days, then it's fine. They're not going to be deployed. No one's going to die. Yeah. Well, you know, change your plans as fate has it. (laughs) So Zuko admits to his friends that he wanted to speak out against this horrifying plan, but he is ashamed to admit that he did not because he had forgotten who he was. And also, why would he speak out against his father at this point? We all remember what happened to him the last time he did at a war room meeting. So I don't blame him. And that's what's cool about this. The whole history repeating itself. Zuko found himself in the same scenario he was in about three years ago when he first spoke up. And the fact that he was in that moment again and hearing another plan that he wanted to speak out against, the fact that he chose not to this time because he remembered how badly that turned out and led to his exile and his desperate search for the Avatar. I love that little detail of psychology that when you're in another bad situation, usually you will refrain from reacting the same way that you did the prior time because you learned from it. And then also Ozai's plan to burn the Earth Kingdom is taking direct inspiration from Fire Lord Sozin when he wiped out the Air Nomads with the power of Sozin's Comet. So it's cool to see history repeating itself in these themes because it shows you that if you're not vigilant, history can repeat itself because usually bad ideas are shared across the ages. It's not just one person committing genocide one time only. You know, that kind of thing can happen again if if history leads up to it a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also really like the imagery of Zuko being off of his true path at this point. Like he kind of deviated and he's just going through the motions. And so he doesn't speak against this horrifying plan when the events that led him to be put on this path in the first place started with him actually speaking out against his plan and his father's plan by accident. So it was really kind of cool to have that like a little bit of like extra detail being like, remember, he's still like, he's not this Zuko that has learned the true form of firebending and he's not blue spirit Zuko. He's the Zuko who his father wants him to be at this point. Mm-hmm. Very the cool. Zuko he was before he turned yeah. and joined Team Avatar. Yep. Well, the group is in disbelief of this news and morale is quickly sinking. Aang wonders... This is what we talked about, why Zuko didn't tell him about the evil plan sooner. And Zuko admits that he assumed that everyone was just going to be attacking before the comment, like everyone discussed verbally in front of him, (laughs) included in the group. Here's a nice pun for everyone. The group reminds an anxious, anxious (laughs) avatar that he is not alone and that if they all work together, they surely have a shot at taking down the Fire Lord. Air, water, earth. Fire and the two most important elements, fan and sword. Team Avatar is back. I do appreciate that little Star Wars nod with the mm-hmm. Star Wars pose. That was really cool. Yeah. And I love the um, the sound effects they used. I feel like in these next three or four episodes, they use a lot more less traditional, more mechanical sound effects. And it's very funny. Yeah. I feel like the team just wanted to get it out of their system at that point. <laughs> yep. Fighting the Fire Lord is going to be the hardest thing we've ever done together, but I wouldn't want to do it any other way, Aang tells the group. And with a newfound sense of hope, the gang forms a group hug. And yes, even Zuko eventually joins in. After all, being a part of the group also means being a part of the group hugs. Love it. Also, seconds later, Appa like jumps in <laughs> and like smushes everyone, kind of. <laughs> it's very cute. Later that day, Zuko tells Aang of a new technique that will be needed to face Ozai, how to redirect lightning. 
Aang's face lights up as he watches Zuko explain the technique and the concept behind it. Aang immediately recognizes this technique as being similar to water bending. Zuko confirms the Avatar's thoughts and tells him that Iroh invented this technique after studying waterbenders, which we already knew from book one. Bitter work. Jeez. So I know it was a little over a year ago that we covered that, I feel like. But like, it feels like ages ago. It feels like an eternity. It really does. (laughs) Aang asks Zuko if he's ever redirected lightning before. And Zuko tells his friend of the events directly after the eclipse in the day of Black Sun. Zuko admits that redirecting his father's lightning was exhilarating, but terrifying. You feel so powerful holding that much energy in your body, but you know if you make the wrong move, it's over. Aang jokes about using the spirit water that Katara got from Master Paku if the lightning takes a wrong turn, but Katara tells him that they used all of the water up after Azula shot Aang back in the Crystal Cavern in Ba Sing Se. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And I have to... Oh, I have to call attention to the fact that when we saw that flashback where Zuko redirects lightning in front of Ozai, I had this like this squeeze in my heart remembering that this technique was originally learned in bitter work from Iroh at one of Zuko's lowest points. He was not able to do it. Mm -hmm. Then he did it in one of his proudest moments, standing up to his father. And now he's sharing that technique, which originated from Iroh with Aang, the Avatar. Like, it's just a beautiful arc, and I love it. And I love the storytelling in this show. It really is just very, I don't want to say heartwarming, but it did give me like the good feels seeing Zuko go step by step effortlessly through this form that he struggled with so much in the past. So, yeah, it was, it's again, seeing that progression to your point, seeing him go through this complete arc. And there's so much foreshadowing going on, not only with Zuko's movements. But also like the mentioning of the spirit water of Master Paku. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't talked about Paku in forever. We hasn't he hasn't shown up. We know now after watching this episode, he's gonna be showing up real oh, soon. So they're like, great hey, point. remember this guy? Remember this thing? Oh yeah. That's a nice little like nod to like keep your wits about you because although the Ang Avengers are no more because they all got captured, essentially. <laughs> We have more friends returning. Yeah, that's a great point. They do such a good job with continuity and dropping concepts or names or words or places very strategically to keep everything feeling very concise and multi-threaded. Like even in the flashback in the war room, we saw two people that we've seen in the past. Bu Jing, who's the general that Zuko originally spoke out against. And then Shinu, who's been promoted from colonel since his last appearance. They're both there again. It's just this rotating cast of characters. And I like how tight that makes the world feel because you keep running into these people, places and things. Yeah. It's like, why make up a new character when you have a perfectly good existing character in there? And that only further builds the world out for everyone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. 100%. Zuko tells Aang that he will need to end the Fire Lord's life before the Fire Lord ends Aang's life. Yeah, I'll do just that, Aang says as he looks away from his friends. I feel like Aang didn't really think the plan through this whole time. He's like, yeah, I just have to defeat the Fire Lord. And he's been using the term defeat probably in Mm -hmm. his mind and not connecting defeat to killing or ending life. Yeah, almost like in a spar where the person wins when they have the other person disarmed on the ground with your weapon pointed at them. That's when you've defeated someone. I think that's kind of what he had in his mind, which is like outmaneuver, outplay 
and defeat the Fire Lord when this whole time the world is expecting him to kill the Fire Lord. And kill is never used in the show. Even when they get to the reality of they will have to defeat the Fire Lord by killing him, they still say take his life, which is a nice way of still addressing concepts like that, but in a censored kid-friendly way. Yeah, kind of like how on the Ninja Turtle cartoons, Leonardo never actually stabs anyone with his swords. He just uses them for defense. Like those little kind (laughs) of tiny things. Absolutely. As dusk approaches, Team Avatar gathers on some cliffs overlooking the beach. Gather around, Team Avatar. Sokka gives everyone in the group their instructions on the plan to take down the Fire Lord. Or in this practice run, the Melon Lord. The Melon Lord. First, (laughs) Suki and Sokka will draw his fire. Then Katara and Zuko will charge in on the offense. And finally, Aang will swoop in for the finishing blow. Toph asks excitedly, what about her? And Sokka tells her that for now, she will be the Melon Lord's forces. Which is music to Toph's ears. Oh, she loves it. So she gets to chuck flaming rocks at her friends and basically has kind of free reign to make this feel more realistic. And we get that mm. classic, iconic Toph grin. And she's just like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm for it. Sign me up. I used that gif the other day. The I Melon saw. Lord gif with Toph. I saw. So, so funny. good. I saw it and I was like, I don't, did I like zone that out? And then I was watching this episode. I was like, oh, yes. There it is. There it is. <laughs> the training seems to be going well, even with Toph only answering to the title of Melon Lord. That is until Aang swoops in and finds himself unable to take down the melon headed scarecrow Fire Lord. Sokka walks up to Aang and reminds the Avatar that if this was the real deal, he would have been shot full of lightning right now. Mm. I'm sorry, Aang says, but it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like myself. Sokka takes out his sword and cuts the top off of the Melon Lord's head. There, that's how it's done, Sokka says as Momo rushes in to eat the melony goodness. <laughs> I like how they, in this intense moment, still made it fun at the end with Momo eating the melon. I was like kind of concerned for Sokka's state of mind for a minute. He didn't just decapitate the Melon Lord. He like took off just the top of his head. And I've only ever seen that in like, I think it was the movie Hannibal or Red Dragon. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> little intense. Oh, like, geez, man. And then Momo comes in and just gobbles it up. And I was like, all right, we're back. We're back, everyone. Yeah. But even speaking to the censorship thing, we cut away to Aang's face as he's doing that. So we don't actually see him using his sword yeah. on a melon head. That's great. But That's a great call. Yeah. The violence is still conveyed. And actually him chopping the melon is kind of a, a call to how a lot of sound effects for brutal acts of violence are used with melons because melons sound very juicy and fleshy. So oftentimes like Foley artists will use those to um, simulate violence against humans. That's right. I completely forgot about that. Wow. That's really, that's, I like that. That's that's really funny. I also like that we don't see Sokka like cutting the top off either because it kind of gives the illusion that he's moving faster than the camera can actually get to his actions, which for me, Mm -hmm. diehard Sokka fan, in case anyone forgot, just like absolute favorite character. There's probably a spoiler in there for the series, top five characters, but he's in there. It shows how good of a swordsman he is, that he can just like go so fast that not even the camera, which catches everything, (laughs) can watch it. Dusk turns to night as Team Avatar is eating their dinner. Katara walks in and tells her friends that she has a surprise for them. And no, it's not that she has a secret thing for Haru. Sorry, Kataru shippers. She didn't have. (laughs) I don't know if there are any, but... They they probably are. They probably are. They probably are. 
She unravels a scroll that she found and tells the group that it's a picture of Zuko when he was a kid. And look how cute he was. Zuko quickly corrects Katara and tells everyone that it's actually a painting of Ozai as a child. But he looks so sweet and innocent, Suki notes. And Zuko comments about how that sweet little kid grew up to be a monster and the worst father in the history of fathers. Not even in the history of the Fire Nation, the history of fathers. He's probably not wrong. Ozai is kind of crappy. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? That moment felt like a callback to me to the return to Omashu episode when they were talking about Tom Tom, how they were basically having that conversation around the fire saying, look how cute he is. And then, no, that baby's going to grow up and turn into a Fire Nation soldier and he's going to kill people and be terrible. Yeah. It's that, again, that whole concept of innocence can turn into evil. Yeah. Wow. Well, despite the evil, Aang still recognizes that he's still a human being. And the Avatar can't shake that feeling that there must be another way to end it all. Even if he does agree that the world would be a much better place without Ozai in it. Zuko asks Aang for an alternative plan. And Aang brings up a kind of childish plan of making glue so he can glue bend Ozai's arms and legs together so the Fire Lord wouldn't be able to firebend anymore. Yeah, then you can show him his baby pictures and all those happy memories will make him good again, Zuko says sarcastically as Suki and Sokka laugh behind him. Do you really think that'll work? Aang excitedly asks the prince. No, Zuko yells back, which causes Aang to sigh in disappointment. Oh, man. Poor Aang. They did such a good job exploring Aang's psychology in these last couple episodes and just him really grappling with the things that he's been taught and the things that everyone expects him to do. It's very true to his character, I feel, because he is still young. He still is relying on the things that the monks taught him growing up. And so to hear the complete opposite feels like it goes against everything that he's been taught to believe and to do. Yeah. That struggle is very palpable. It absolutely is. Yeah. He's lived his whole life with one mentality, with a set of morals. And now he has to potentially compromise that. And Mm -hmm. what is he, 13 now? Yeah, about... Maybe 12 still, who knows, but probably 13. Yeah, Yeah. like he's coming into his own. He's learning that the world isn't as innocent as he thought it was, even after all these adventures, even after everything he's been through. Like he's still Mm -hmm. been able to kind of shrug it off, which is like, we never talked about that, but very admirable, in my opinion, of the Avatar. Just go with the flow, very like happy and smiling almost the entire time. I think there's only been like two episodes where he hasn't been in a good mood. Yeah, true. His his default state is very much glass half full, yeah. optimistic, yeah. see the good in everyone and everything. Yeah. So Aang begins to pace back and forth. The very thought of ending Ozai's life goes against everything he had learned from the monks. And he can't go around wiping people out that he doesn't like. I think of The Office at this point. <laughs> can't fire mm-hmm. him, Michael. You don't have, don't have any cause. It's because... I don't like him. <laughs> yeah. Sokka jokes that since he's the Avatar and it's all in the name of balance, the universe will definitely forgive him. The bad joke causes Aang to erupt in anger as none of his friends seem to understand the position he's in right now. Katara tells her friend that they do understand, but Aang won't hear it. She reminds her friend that they are trying to help, but he is too angry to hear anything at this moment. When you figure out a way for me to beat the Fire Lord without taking his life, I'd love to hear it, Aang tells the group as he walks away. Katara goes to follow Aang, but Zuko stops her and tells the waterbending master that Aang needs time to sort it out by himself. Ugh, yep. I have a note in all caps, which doesn't happen super often, but it's in all caps. I think 
on top of this morality and going against his worldviews and everything that he's known for the past 112 years, 113 years, this train of thought, this sense of morality that the monks instilled upon him is his almost literally last piece of home that he's holding on to. So not only oh, is he man. yeah, not only is he going against his moral code, but by doing so, he gives up any maybe self-proclaimed right to call himself an air nomad. Yeah. And it's oh, like gosh, heartbreaking. That's heavy. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, I think you're right. Aang's had to go through a lot. Yeah. Including coming to terms with the loss of his culture and the people in it. We've seen him accept a lot of things, go through a lot of things, but like this is probably, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's the the thing that the very last thing that can be asked of him that he's not willing to give up because of everything else that he's willingly given up. Yeah. Also, if the Aero Nomads don't kill anyone and he kills someone, he's no longer an Aero Nomad. There goes his entire self-identity right there because he doesn't identify himself as the Avatar. Like, sure, he runs around literally the entire globe and says, I'm the Avatar. I'm the Avatar. Look at me. I'm the Avatar. But like, he doesn't obviously understand what that means and what that will ask of him. You know, that's a very interesting distinction. And I'm thinking of Korra here because I remember when I watched Korra, she had the opposite perspective. She was first an avatar and then a bender. I think Aang is first a bender and specifically an air nomad and then the avatar. So he's more an air nomad that just happens to be able to bend all the elements and have this responsibility versus Korra who uses that as her identity from the beginning. That's so interesting. I'm going to ask this question. I don't want anyone to answer it for me. I'm just going to throw it out there. And when we get to Cora and I don't revisit this, someone yell at me nicely, please. But someone <laughs> yell at me. I wonder if that's because of Tenzin's influence on Cora and who Tenzin is related to. I don't want to say anything else because there are some people that have not seen Cora at all that love Avatar Less Airbender and have seen it several times. But I'm just going to leave it there. Mm-hmm. That'll be something good to talk about yeah. when we get to Cora. If I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Aang returns to his room and meditates while overlooking the calm ocean waters. Momo flies up to his friend and Aang asks if Momo has any idea what he should do. Momo chitters with uncertainty, which causes Aang to sigh. As the candles burn slowly into the night, Aang and Momo fall asleep. But something interesting is shown to us. An island suddenly appears in the water and Aang's eyes open. He silently gets up and walks towards the island in a daze. Momo chitters behind his friend, but the Avatar seems to not be aware of his surroundings. Aang walks into the water and swims to the island's shores with Momo following suit. I'm just going to say this. Aang swimming is kind of creepy. I don't think we've ever seen him like (laughs) swim slowly and calmly before, but it gave me like chills. It was very eerie for me. This whole scene is kind of eerie because it's it's like like a hypnosis state or a compulsion type of scene. He's not acting like a regular person. Like I I imagine if it was Aang going into the water, he would do this like combination of airbending and like waterbending to get over to the island. But he's not really all there right now because he's being compelled to come to the island. So he's acting differently, which is creepy. Yeah. Even when he does airbend very slightly after he leaves the balcony, it's not like the animated airbending that we see him do. It's mm-hmm. very like subtle and, and very quiet as well. So yeah, very weird. Another cool detail about this scene is the chanting that we can hear in the background as Aang's walking to the island, walking down to the beach. It's a Buddhist chant known as Nomo Ami Tu Foshindi, 
which is chanting we actually first heard when the fire sages assumed their stances in front of the door in the fire temple sanctuary. It was heard again right before Aang stepped into the spirit oasis to fuse with La during the siege of the north. For some reason, I don't remember this at all. This feels like the first time I'm hearing this chanting. Yeah. But it adds this level of like mysticism to the scene yeah. that really fits well. I think without this chanting, it wouldn't feel as impactful as, as it does. I think without this chanting, the scene would haunt my nightmares because it'd just be quiet and it would be even creepier and I wouldn't be able <laughs> it would to be handle it. In a different way. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Well, speaking of creepy, the next morning, the island is just gone. The gang pack up Appa and are about to take off when Toph tells them that Aang isn't even there. They all run back to the house and search for Aang in every room, but all they could find was his staff, which was left behind. Zuko comes to the realization that Aang isn't in the house and they should check the beach next. But of course, Aang is not on the beach either. They do find his footprints that lead directly into the ocean. Maybe he was captured, Katara tells the group, but Sokka notes that there aren't any signs of a struggle, so that couldn't be it. I bet he ran away again, Toph adds, but Sokka butts in and tells her that Aang left his glider and Appa behind, so that's not likely. Sokka then adds his own theories to the pile, which is that Aang is clearly on a spirit world journey, except his body isn't here, so that rules out his theory. I like how they go through all of the reasons why Aang wasn't with the group. <laughs> I was just about to say, you know, this is, again, smart writing because it's showing the characters are intelligent yep. and able to rule out potential scenarios. Yeah, I do also like that. If you look at it from a certain point of view, Sokka was kind of the most close to being correct. <laughs> True. Kinda. You really want to give Sokka that point, don't you? I'm just like, you'll be surprised who my MVP is at the end of this episode. Guitara logically states that he must still be <laughs> on Ember Island and suggests they split up to search for their lost friend. Toph calls dibs on being partnered with Zuko since it's her turn to have a life-changing field trip with the prince. Another example of lampshade hanging mm -hmm. where it seems to come out of nowhere. It's like, why would Toph want to go with Zuko? And then she gives the reason. Well, everyone else has had a life-changing field trip with Zuko. It's my turn. Yes. Sokka and Appa check the ocean. Katara and Suki check for Aang in the town square and think they found him when they hear a crowd chanting his name. However, the Ember Island players are performing a street show and actress Aang is in the middle of it all. So here's a quick fun fact. Rachel Dratch is not credited in this episode, but in the mm. commentary, Mike and Brian confirmed that it's her being actress Aang and not like Mae Whitman, for example, or, or some other because she only has like two lines and that's it. So they could have very easily like gotten someone else. But the commentary leads me to believe that it was SNL alum Rachel Dratch again, which is, again, I love her so much. She's so funny. Oh, so she didn't get her credit? Not in the credits that I noticed, or I don't even think I saw it anywhere else. But yeah, it's her. Hmm. Meanwhile, Toph is telling her life story to Zuko, who tries to redirect focus to the task at hand, finding the Avatar. <laughs> I love that scene where Toph is just like, I know I shouldn't be like super upset because my parents do love me. And Zuko's just like, <laughs> quiet with your, with your Toffee two parents over here. I don't just stop. Yeah. It's funny how she's interpreted how everyone else's field trip dealt with these like huge emotional advancements and healing. And so she's just unloading on him yeah. with her life story, but it's not going the way that she expected. No. Well, I, my headcanon is that she kind of was chilling out with him and nothing was happening. So she's like, oh, maybe I have to just tell him my life story and then I'll get a revelation <laughs> out of that. So she's trying right. all these different ways just to have this, like like you said, this momentous, like 
mind blowing thing happened to her and it just isn't going to happen to her because no, nope. her momentous mind blowing thing already happened to her by learning earth bending. So there's that too. <laughs> metal bending. Yeah. Metal, bend- and metal bending as well. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like earth bending from the badger moles. Like that's huge. Like how many earth benders learn directly from badger moles? Two. Yeah. The first two. And then she just created metal bending all on her own. Yeah. She's, she's kind of a, a one woman army. She's, she's got it. I actually really like that she didn't need Zuko to like have any revelations or discover anything about exactly. herself. It was really cool. I liked that too. Nice little touch. So later that day, everyone reconvenes empty-handed. It's like Aang has just disappeared. Toph notes that Momo has been missing too, and Sokka immediately jumps to the only rational conclusion. Appa (laughs) ate Momo. Oh my god. I love this bit so much. Katara tries to convince her brother that Momo is most likely with Aang. That's just what Appa wants you to think, Sokka says as he climbs inside of Appa's mouth looking for the lemur. As Sokka droops out of the Air Bison's mouth, the group looks to Zuko for next steps. After all, he has the most experience in the group hunting the Avatar. Okay, but I really need to call attention to the fact that as they're talking, the camera (laughs) includes Appa in the background on the ground and Sokka dribbles out of Appa's mouth completely covered in saliva to lie like spread eagle on the ground. It's hilarious. Top three comedic animated moments in Avatar that I can remember right now. This is probably number one or two. Number two or three would be that one guard who let all of the inmates out because Sokka told him to. And he just like Uh tiptoes away is up there. Yep. And um, at the house party, one of the rich guys, when he like is trying to like hit on Azula and then he realizes she's crazy and he just like dips out. (laughs) It's like the dots over his head and a little bird yeah. flying over. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. He's like, I, I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> this animated moment was actually part of the storyboard. And I think it was Aaron um, Ehaz or Ehaz. I've been saying it wrong this entire time and no one's corrected me, everyone. It's wow, e- I've been Ehaz. saying Ehaz too. Yeah, yeah. Mike, or unless Mike and Brian are mispronouncing it. I don't know. I would say they are probably well, the I expert would trust on that. Yeah, more than, yeah, than, more than me. <laughs> But yeah, that was just something that was storyboarded on there, which is really cool. Love it. Yeah. The gang takes to the skies as Zuko steers Appa towards the Earth Kingdom. Sokka doesn't think that Aang would go back to the Earth Kingdom, but Zuko stays true to his course of action. Just trust me, he says, as they fly towards a familiar location from book one. Mm. Meanwhile, back at the Fire Nation, Fire Lord Ozai is preparing for his departure with a grand ceremony at the Royal Plaza. Azula arrives a bit late and apologizes to her father, stating that the reason for her tardiness are slow palaquin bearers. Fire Lord Ozai informs the princess that there has been a change of plans and orders Azula to stay behind in the Fire Nation. Azula begins to panic, claiming that it's not fair of him to treat her like Zuko. Ozai basically tells her to settle down and explains (laughs) that she has a much more important job to do now. She must watch over the Fire Nation and tells her that she will be the new Fire Lord. Azula does like the sound of Fire Lord Azula, but she asks her father, what will he do? Ozai then declares himself the Phoenix King, the ruler of the world, and departs for the airship base. Way to devalue your role before you hand it off to someone who really wanted it. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. This old thing? Ugh. Take it. You take it. It's yours. Child's play. Man. But this scene, 
So we're actually seeing Azula lose her composure for the first time. <laughs> and when Ozai tells her that she's not going to be part of his plan, this is, remember, maybe days after her betrayal by both Tylee and May. So she actually panics here. This is her being out of character and showing traits that are not true to her character usually. Her voice kind of breaks. She gets panicky. She demands her father to reconsider. And not only is it a sign of her declining mental health, but whenever a character momentarily breaks away from their normal habits, it's a subconscious cue to the viewer for how serious the situation is. Mm. And I love that touch. Yeah, it's fine. So good. It's connected with Azula. It's fine. No, I'm just kidding. It, it's a wonderful, it's an absolutely great touch. <laughs> and then regarding the Phoenix King title, it's very similar in thought and concept to the Dragon Emperor of China. And while we all know what a Phoenix is, I just want to give some more detail to the mythology of the Phoenix um, because it is a mythical sacred firebird that originated in many ancient mythologies, including Egyptian, Phoenician, Greek, Indian, Persian, Roman, and Chinese, among others. We know it to be depicted probably as we saw it in Harry Potter, where it's this very radiant bird with a tail of gold and red plumage. In some sources, it says it is purple and blue and has a 500 to 1,000 year life cycle, near the end of which it builds itself a nest of myrrh twigs that eventually ignites. Both the nest and the bird burn and are reduced to ashes. And from those ashes, a new young phoenix rises to live again. In Chinese mythology, the phoenix is one of the four sacred creatures, the other three being the dragon, the keelan, I think, and the turtle. Hmm. So the fact that they included the phoenix in the imagery of this new title that the Fire Lord is creating for himself, I think is very like very true to the culture, but then also very true to the role. He is rising out of the ashes of his prior role into this new greatness. It also feels like a very for me, rich person thing to do. Oh, totally. I am the most majestic, most beautiful firebird you've ever <laughs> seen. This new role, instead of being like the king of kings, I'm just going to be this mythological, legendary thing that no one's actually ever seen. Because that describes me. Yep. Yep. Like a, a rich person who makes a bathroom completely out of gold. Because, yes. yeah. you know, their, their tush deserves to sit on a golden toilet seat. Don't attack my lifestyle. Just kidding. <laughs> Back in the Earth Kingdom, Zuko leads the group into a seedy Earth Kingdom tavern where they find Ryu from Street Fighter again fighting a familiar <gasps> yes. woman. That woman is June, and Sokka remembers her immediately as the woman with the mole. Zuko corrects the warrior and tells the group that she has a shearshu, which is the only animal that can track Aang's scent anywhere in the world. June effortlessly defeats Ryu again and finishes her drink. I don't know who this June lady is, but I like her, Toph tells the group with a big smile on her face. Oh, Toph would. She mm -hmm. would like June. It's so good. I, I want so much June and Toph's excellent adventure. That's all I want right now. <laughs> that would be incredible. It's so funny. Meanwhile, Aang and Momo wake up on the island and look to the horizon. Where are we? Aang asks as the island is revealed to be in the middle of the ocean and nowhere near Ember Island or any other land masses for that matter. Bom, 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 bom. That's my, my, my sound of the trumpets at the end of every uh, cliffhanger episode. You're all welcome. Perfect. Wonderful. Uh, so that was the end of the Phoenix King. And now we're going to just jump right into the Old Masters, which was written by Aaron E. Hawes and directed by Giancarlo Volpe. Back at the Sea Earth Kingdom Tavern, Zuko approaches June, who remembers him almost immediately. She asks him where his creepy grandfather is and makes a joke about how things appear to have worked out with Katara. 
his girlfriend. Uh, just couldn't, uh, couldn't help yourself. Just had to make another Zutara jab. All yeah, right, writers. Yeah. Zuko and Katara become flustered and aggressively deny being a couple. Okay, okay. Sheesh, I was only teasing. So what do you want? June hardly looks up from her drink when she asks the question. Zuko asks for her help in finding the Avatar, and June continues to sip her drink and notes that this doesn't sound like a fun request. Zuko gets in June's face and aggressively asks if the end of the world sounds like fun to her. <laughs> I love the fact that she calls Iroh creepy here. Yeah, because he was. <laughs> he absolutely yeah, was. He yeah. was. Yeah. And something I didn't mention in our last episode, the Ember Island players, is that was the team's chance to poke fun at themselves before anyone else did. So they made fun of all the things that we pointed out, things like they were pressured to cast a woman as the voice of Aang. They were going to make Toph a big buff dude. So they were able to kind of poke fun at themselves. And I think that they kind of continued to do this in this episode where they pointed out the fact that, yeah, Ira was being creepy. And yes, you noticed. And yeah. yes, she's making a comment about it. Yeah. The, the, the continuity really continues and reminds you why this world is so amazing. Like, not only are they trying to like make, like you said, make up for past mistakes, like little fun little jokes that they thought were great at the time, but then upon reflection, we're like, eh, maybe Iroh pretending to be knocked out so he can be underneath June isn't the best thing in the world. Who is actually yeah. knocked out, by the way. Yeah. But I know I kind of glossed over this, but I do really like they brought back Ryu. I know. For no reason. I, I got so excited when I saw him. It's like, oh, he must be a local. This is where he goes, you know, often. He and June must have this ongoing rivalry and they have yeah. like tally marks somewhere for who, who yeah. wins what fight. Oh, man. It's it's just like, it's good. It's just good fun. Uh, just so everyone knows, I know that June and Ryu didn't actually fight fight in the beginning of, I think it was Bado of the Water Tribe is where we last saw mm -hmm. her, but they were arm wrestling and she still won. So this is just kind of like, it feels like just progression into that, which is cool. Yeah. Also, she recognized Katara, which is very interesting. Because I honestly forgot that she actually saw Katara. And so mm -hmm. I rewatched the episode just to be like, did you actually see her? And she did right at the end. Nice detail. So it was really cool. Outside, Appa and Nyla growl at each other, which ends with Appa licking Nyla's face and the two becoming friends. June walks out of the tavern in front of the gang and throws a stake at Nyla. She shows the sheer shoe affection and after an accidental tongue lashing from Nyla, June weighs over Katara, who presents Aang's staff, which has his scent all over it. Nyla takes a moment to sniff the staff and walks around in circles until eventually laying down on the ground and covers their nose. June tells the group that this means that the Avatar is gone, meaning he doesn't exist. So that's kind of a big moment, right? To say, well, Aang doesn't exist because Nyla can't find his scent. Well, apparently that was explained in the book Sozin's Comet, The Final Battle, which was written by David Bergantino. I don't know if it's officially considered canon, but I really liked this explanation that he gave in the book, which is Nyla was unable to follow Aang's scent while he was on the lion turtle because the lion turtle had traveled extensively throughout the world. Because of this, the lion turtle accumulated countless smells, which made it impossible for the Shereshu to differentiate between distinct scents, including Aang. So he was effectively masked in an olfactory sense. Huh. I just kind of thought that like, I mean, after we learn about the lion turtle, that it was just part of the lion turtle, like a power or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or kind of like the distance with the water between them. Like Nyla can't track through an ocean. That was my original thought when I was yeah. watching this in the beginning. But I kind of like the idea of 
this ancient creature having absorbed so much of the world scent wise that it just confused Nyla. Uh, also, back in Bato of the Water Tribe, June says that Nyla can sniff out a rat from a continent away. So, like, Ooh, that's a good point. There yep. is also a limitation in terms of continuity to how far Nyla can smell. I'll say this I've been like holding this in. I was going to say it a little later, but I can't hold this in any longer. Let's hear it. June is super nice to Nyla. She was super mean in Bato of the Water Tribe to Nyla. She was whipping the sheer shoe. She called Nyla an it on several occasions. I got this like almost like animal abuse kind of vibe off of it as, as much as you can get in Nickelodeon. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. And with that episode also having the um, creepy old Iroh behavior. Yeah. I think that might be another thing that they're kind of retconning in this episode. Because even in the lore... We read that June got Nyla when she was like a baby sheer shoe and they've yeah. been life companions ever since. So it doesn't make sense for her to mistreat Nyla. So maybe this is the team's version of correcting that assumption or that kind of portrayal because you're right. It was kind of bordering on animal abuse and a little uncomfortable in that episode. Yeah. My wild and crazy headcanon is that after the events of Bato of the Water Tribe, June kind of like realized just how fragile Nyla actually is and kind of like changed how she treats her friend. That's just kind of how I deal with it. Or they had an adventure that like put both their lives at risk and Nyla saved the day or something like that. That's kind of where my head went at because we haven't seen them for a year. So and a lot can happen for a bounty hunter, especially a very dangerous line of work in a year. Yeah, that would give her some character growth, which I'm a fan of. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like she definitely did grow a bit as a character since we last saw her as well. Like mm -hmm. she can be viewed as very like one note, just like that really like cool, badass woman that just like doesn't care about anything. But the fact that she's willing to help out Team Avatar for free to find Aang shows a lot of growth because before she couldn't yeah. be bothered to help out Zuko. <laughs> period. She's like, pay up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there was some growth there. And I'd like I'd like Avatar Studios. If you, if you may, please make that like a little short, little story, little book, little something. The continued adventures of June and Nyla. I would just love it. I would be such a fan. You'll know that Nyla was based on an actual dog for someone that worked on the show. What mm -hmm. I didn't realize, and I don't remember if you said this or not. I'm assuming you did. And I just forgot because it was over a year ago. And I can't remember <laughs> what I had for breakfast. But the coloring of Nyla is based on that of a Rottweiler, which is what the real Nyla is. Oh, fun. So I thought that was a nice little touch. So we go back to the island. Go back, Kate, to the island. It's a lost reference for everyone. Aang and Momo wander around wondering where they are. Aang rules out being in the spirit world when he is able to successfully airbend. He then comes up with a plan to climb to the top of the island, and hopefully they will be able to figure out where they are. Back with Team Avatar, Sokka is utterly confused by June's previous statement. Sokka asks if she means that Aang could be dead, but June tells them that even if he was dead, Nyla would be able to sniff out his corpse. She doesn't say corpse, but that's essentially what she says. Zuko takes a step forward and comes back with a plan B. There's only one other person in this world who can help us face the Fire Lord. He then comes back not a moment later with a fly-ridden, awful, moldy, smelly sandal that we all know belongs to none other than the dragon of the West, Iroh. <laughs> I love the comment that Toph makes. Oh, it's kind of sweet. Yeah. That he kept his uncle's sandal. <laughs> so gross. Also, where was he keeping that? It's that smelly yeah. and no one noticed it? <clears throat> uh, I don't want to know. So don't answer that question. That's, that's a mystery I don't need solved. 
Nyla jumps over and takes a sniff of the sandal and takes off. The gang jump on Appa and follow the sheer shoe. After a full day's travel, Nyla finally stops at the broken wall of Ba Sing Se. June tells Zuko that his uncle is somewhere beyond the wall and that he can't be too far. June and Nyla disappear shortly thereafter, and Zuko advises that they set up camp for the night. Bye, June. Bye, we June. Love you. I hope I see you again in your own animated short about what happened with you and Nyla <laughs> in between the events of Bato of the Water Tribe and this one. Bye. Okay. <laughs> the sun shines down on Aang and Momo back at the island when the two stumble upon a large hexagonal symbol carved out of the earth. Upon further inspection, Aang realizes that this is not made of rock, and he even tries to earthbend on the platform with no success. Aang wishes for help and then remembers that he can get it. He takes a deep breath as he goes into a meditative position. The world fades around the avatar as Roku appears to Aang. Roku reminds Aang that he is able to access all of the wisdom and experiences of the past avatars. Aang asks his former incarnation where they are located currently, but Roku doesn't seem to know either. What Roku does know is that Aang is lost in a different way right now. Aang admits that he is, and he is unsure of what to do once he faces Fire Lord Ozai. Back at Camp Avatar, the gang is fast asleep when Toph wakes up to feel the incoming ambush. The group is quickly surrounded by fire, and four robed figures loom overhead. We quickly see that the four figures are none other than Pian Dao, Zhang Zhang, Paku, and of course, my favorite, Boomy! <laughs> Yay! I think everyone knows that I was rewatching this this morning because I was just like, I love Boomy. Yep. That's the tweet. That's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> everyone is pretty confused except for Katara and Sokka, who are very excited to see their former masters and friends. On the island, Aang tells Roku that everyone expects him to just kill the Fire Lord, but he's not sure he can do it. Roku reminds Aang of the events of the Avatar and the Fire Lord and how his own restraint and hesitation not only cost him his own life, if he had been more decisive and acted sooner, he could have ended the 100-year war before it even began. Roku tells Aang that he must be decisive. As Roku fades away, Aang is only further disappointed by his advice. That's one of my favorite parts of this episode, Aang getting wisdom from his past incarnations and the fact that they're all pushing him yeah. in the direction of killing the Fire Lord because it just makes that revelation in the finale finale that much more satisfying. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like we talked about in one of the one of our avatars where there are traits that flow through all of the avatars that kind of keep consistent. And I think this train mm -hmm. of thought is maybe one of those up until Aang. Like they're all mm -hmm. just like, yeah, just like you got to end it. You got to end it. Like that's just how it goes. So Rogu isn't necessarily telling him to like kill Ozai, but he's like, you have to make a decision and you have to stick to it. You can't be like meandering around this gray area here. You have to just like yeah. figure it out. Either you do it or you don't and you live with the consequences or you mm -hmm. don't live with the consequences one way or the other and not in like <laughs> a great fun ang trickster kind of way in a you dead kind of way. Yeah. What's going on? We're surrounded by old people. Toth asks the group, but Katara tells her friend that these aren't any old, old people. They are great masters and friends of theirs. Paku tells Katara that he married Grand Grand and that he even made her a new betrothal necklace and everything. Katara and Sokka are excited by this news and Sokka dubs Paku Gramp Gramp or Grand Paku. Paku is not amused. Zuko walks up to Zhang Zhang and Katara introduces him as Aang's first firebending teacher. Sokka approaches Pian Dao and bows in respect to his master, who is happy to see his student. Suki is confused, however, and asks how they all know each other. 
all old people know each other. Don't you know that? Boomy snorts as he laughs at his own joke. Piandao tells the group that they are all part of a secret society that transcends the division of the four nations. Zuko immediately recognizes this to be the Order of the White Lotus, and Boomy confirms this statement. The group learns that the White Lotus has always been about philosophy and beauty and truth. And about a month ago, a call went out that they were needed for something important. That call came from a Grand Lotus, Iroh of the Fire Nation. Piandao tells Zuko and the gang that they will take them to Iroh. I've been waiting to talk about the White Lotus for so long. I know. So before we go any further, let's jump into some information about them. So they just shared here that they are a very ancient order and their whole existence is based on protecting and cultivating and holding to these old tenets. Well, obviously they derive their name from the White Lotus tile that we've seen a couple times throughout the show, which is used in Pi Show and is also a key element in their strategy. Membership is communicated through the game itself, like we saw in the tavern when Iroh put the tiles in a certain manner, forming a lotus bud. The White Lotus is kind of based on the Freemasons, or at least mimics that of the Freemasons, which is another allegedly ancient secret society that has a lot of secrets, whose members have many cultures and their views stretch all over the world. In Hinduism, the white lotus flower symbolizes beauty and non-attachment. And beauty is one of the virtues of the order of the white lotus and the society is not attached to any government or religion. The thread of beauty also extends to the lotus itself because the lotus blooms in algae-filled ponds. And so this represents great wisdom and team effort rising up despite the somber situation in the world. And finally, the organization's initials spell out OWL, O-W-L, which is an animal that is often associated with wisdom in Western culture. Also, who's an owl that we met? Also, which is an owl that we met, which is the keeper of knowledge. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So cool. Small note, it is interesting that Paku says Iroh is a Grand Lotus, not the Grand Lotus, which Mm -hmm. makes me think that there are other Grand Lotuses. And if so, who else is there? Or is just Iroh the only one, but you can have more than one Grand Lotus at any time. I wonder if the masters are Grand Lotuses because they all wear the same robe. There's no differentiation between them all in terms of garment. And I would imagine that a secret society would have some form of identification Mm -hmm. unless they're so educated that they transcend the need for that, which is also entirely possible. Yeah, maybe they don't need a visual indicator because they just know who's a Grand Lotus. And when it all comes down to it, they are in the Order of the White Lotus for the same reasons. Yeah, it's also important to note that in the commentary, Mike and Brian did note that there are other members of the White Lotus at this camp, but they just didn't animate them because they didn't want to introduce any new characters because it's the end of the series. And why would they do that right now? (laughs) Which is totally fair. Fair. Yeah. Well, going back into it, Boomy pauses and notices that someone very important is missing from the group. Someone with wings and large (laughs) ears. Momo! Sokka tells the king of Amashu that Momo is missing along with Aang. Bumi immediately seems less concerned, learning that the two are lost together and the group continues beyond the wall. I want to pause for a moment because it's interesting. We all know Bumi is chaos, chaos mm-hmm. incarnate, which is very interesting because his life lesson that he taught Aang when they last met was just sit still and things will happen, which only further adds to his chaos, in my opinion. <laughs> But he's like, okay, where's Momo? Which is just him being like a kooky old man, right? Yep. And then we're like, oh, he's with Aang. And like, okay, well, they're, they're together. We did have a couple people write in 
And we talked about this on Avatar episode one fan theories that Monk Gyatso might be Momo reincarnated. And if it wasn't that <gasps> Avatar, it was definitely mm. uh, an egg male or something. We definitely talked about this. Now, I don't know if like this confirms or denies it or doesn't do anything with it, but I <laughs> thought it was very Boomy interesting. It's just so out there. Boomy is out there. Don't get me wrong. But this thought is kind of like a little other just touch upon that is like, where's Monkey Gyatso? Where is this master airbender? That is very interesting. And my headcanon has scooched even closer to being on board with this theory. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, it's, I think. it's like with Boomy, obviously, you don't always know what his intentions are and what his meaning is. Yeah. But this could either be a comedic moment where he just really likes Momo and is like, oh, Momo's great. He's fine. If he's with Aang, they'll both be fine. Or he knows something that everyone else doesn't. And because yeah. he's so kooky, he just never lets on. Yeah. Plus, he's he might be the only person in that group who actually met Monk Gyatso as well. Exactly. That too, and was friends with him. Yeah. Very interesting. We rejoin Aang as he summons the spirit of Kiyoshi. Kiyoshi recounts the tale of the fall of Chin the Conqueror. Chin threatened the balance of the world and Kiyoshi, as we all remember, stopped him. For Aang, there is a difference between killing someone and someone dying as a result of one's actions. But Kiyoshi does not share this sentiment. Kiyoshi offers this wisdom to Aang. Only justice will bring peace. And she vanishes. Aang is again disappointed with the answer and even goes as far to say that he knew he shouldn't have asked Kiyoshi, which like, honestly, I think we all knew that's what she was going to say. I even mean, the yeah. first time we're watching this, right? Like, it's just like, <laughs> she's brutal. I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> the fandom has made so many great new memes about Kiyoshi and just yeah. how, just how, you know, she'll get the job done. She's, you know, no nonsense. Yep. And uh, someone needs to die then. All right. So be it. Yeah, if you have an avatar knocking on your door, you don't want it to be Kiyoshi. <laughs> there you go. Just say that. <laughs> As Team Avatar walks with their former masters, Sokka asks Bumi how he ended up escaping from his imprisonment. Bumi is confused because, as he sees it, he didn't escape. Everyone else escaped. We see a flashback to the events of the Day of Black Sun. Bumi was waiting for a sign, and he wasn't sure what that sign was going to be. But when he sees the eclipse, he's like, yep, yeah, close enough. That's it and earthbends himself out of his metal coffin. He is easily able to defeat the Fire Nation soldiers as they can't firebend during the eclipse. And in a powerful display of earthbending, Bumi ejects every bit of Fire Nation technology and influence from his city. He even defaces and removes the giant statue of Ozai, which causes the <laughs> destruction of the bridge into Amashu. It's brilliant. I love how powerful he is. I freaking love Boomy. So if anyone is wondering what I was watching when I sent out that tweet, it was this. I paused it and I sent out that tweet because it's yep. just so good. Oh, yeah. Also, the fact that we're seeing Omashu again. Yeah. I recently saw the newest update from Elka Gaming, who's making their own avatar game using dreams. Yes. And the detail that they put into Omashu is freaking gorgeous. I can't. And wait. so I'm I'm looking at this flashback and looking at Omashu going, Oh yeah, I saw that. And I oh yeah, and they included that. And it was just it's so good. So if you are listening and you haven't seen Elka Gaming's avatar game. Please go look it up. Yeah. I think that most recent update was shared on Twitter or maybe YouTube where they showed like kind of a, a little tour of Omashu, but I cannot wait to see where that game is going to go. 
I want it so bad to be released. What he confirmed is that each book is going to be its own dream or own like different iteration in the dream game. I don't play dreams all that much. I don't know the proper terminology for anything, but each <laughs> book is going to be its own thing. If you want to see what he's really so far, you can go to my Twitch page. I did do a playthrough and I set it as a collection. And I, we went through in great detail. We even had a lot of people from the Avatar of the Podcast community kind of join for that stream. And we looked over every little detail that you could possibly want for what's already in there. It's not Omashu yet because he hasn't released that for playing, but it was really cool. I highly recommend you check it out. Something I do want to note really quickly as well is that it seems like Boomy knew what the Eclipse would do. That's why he waited for that. And he, the way he's so chaotic and crazy, like he's like, oh yeah, I just saw it. And I just, I just thought I should, I can't talk about Boomy without talking as Boomy. And it's a problem. And I'm so very <laughs> okay. sorry to everyone. I enjoy it. I'm so sorry. But the DVD commentary confirmed from Mike and Brian that Boomy had no idea that the eclipse would cause all the firebenders to lose their firebending abilities. It was just a happy accident. Oh my God. So he looked up and he's like, the sun's black. That seems like a sign. Yeah. And then he pops down. The soldiers are like, that's the sound of no firebending happening. By the way, yep. everyone, you're all welcome. And he's like, oh, well, I can do this now. And just like ejects everyone immediately. That oh also only further strengthens my belief that not everyone in the Fire Nation army knew that they would lose their bending abilities. We talked about that during the day of Black Sun very briefly. And we were like, well, maybe, maybe not. Like, I think we came to the conclusion that they probably did, but they still had to stand mm. guard. But I think with this new information, I feel like not everyone knew that they would just lose their powers, essentially. <laughs> so anyways, yep. So after, I love this little touch, this little cherry on top of the Boomy celebratory ice cream. Boomy celebrates his victory with a cackle and chomps on a well-earned piece of creeping crystal candy. When Boomy asks if anyone else did anything interesting or fun during the day of Black Sun, Zuko and Sokka kind of look at each other and deny that any fun or adventures were had. We return to the island where Aang looks deeper inside of himself and ends up talking to the greatest avatar of all time. You can't convince me oh otherwise, my God, period. Stop. Avatar Kurik. Kurik admits <laughs> that. <laughs> I have my biases. I'm aware. Thank you. Kirk admits <laughs> that he lived in a time of peace and people kind of just figured out their own problems for the most part. He then tells Aang that Ko, the face dealer, kidnapped the woman that he loved and it was all his fault. If Kirk had been more attentive and more active, he could have been able to save her. He tells Aang that he must actively shape his own destiny and the destiny of the world. Aang is again disappointed with the outcome. I love Kirk, but what the actual heck? Does he only have one story that he just reuses? Apparently. This is the only bad thing that's ever happened to him in his life. And Aang is calling on all these <laughs> avatars. And Quirk is probably just like the next in line. Like he sees like Kiyoshi go up and he's like, oh, geez. Oh, geez. Well, I don't have. I can tell him of that time I surfed and I stubbed my toe. I'll sur no, that's not. <laughs> that's not. So he just like repurposes this story to fit the need. Yeah. You know, if if he really was like a go with the flow kind of avatar, like he says, yeah. maybe nothing really bad ever did happen to him. So him losing Umi is like the worst thing ever in his life. And so that is just his go-to story because it's, it's something that took him forever to figure out too. Because we saw in Escape to the Spirit World, he was going to go back and try to get her again. He was yeah. still trying. 
I still absolutely want an Avatar Kurik, like movie, series, whatever. But I think the meat of that story is going to be his continued adventure after he dies and goes in the spirit world. Yeah. I would love like a couple episodes of like good times just to set it, you know, set the mood, set the tone and then go into the darker tones, which would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, The voice actor for Avatar Kurik, this is the first time we're actually hearing him speak. We did see him in Escape from the Spirit World, but that was all text. We didn't hear him talk. Is none other than Jim Meskimen, who you might remember as the voice of Lieutenant G. Oh. General Howe, and also provided additional voices throughout the series. Oh, cool. Yeah. He has a, a very fitting voice for Kurik. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Now, before we move on, I have something that's going to blow your mind. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Ko for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, on Twitter this month, a fan tweeted at Aaron Ehas with a picture of Lieutenant's memorial portrait that Ira puts on the Hale and Bossing say, mm-hmm. and then a screenshot of one of Ko's faces. And they said, Aaron, please tell me if I'm crazy or right for thinking that Ko is responsible for Lieutenant's death. And Aaron responded and saying, You are not crazy. This was a story I wanted to go back to in season four. Wow. So it is practically canon that Iroh's son, Lu Ten, had his face stolen by Ko. And that leads me to think, is that why Iroh got involved in the spirit world in the first place? I was just, I'm pointing at the camera. (laughs) No one can see that. (laughs) I was just going to say that. Yeah, I 110,000% think that's Mm -hmm. Iroh's connection to the spirit world. Is he like either tried and got into the spirit world but wasn't able to save his son and that kind of makes it a little more tragic or mm-hmm. he just went to the spirit world and like didn't make it as far as go yep yeah. yep so i'm now gonna be screaming internally until yeah. avatar studios makes us a show about iroh's journey into the spirit world and we'll yeah. find out about luten's death because this whole time we were thinking that luten just died in battle because it was during the siege of bossing say yeah. and his death is what made iroh back off and go kind of like do his own thing through the world and and all of that so the fact that it was actually because of a spirit co I'm so intrigued. Please tell me that story, Avatar Studios. Yes. Although I don't want it to be book four because everyone just hear me out for a minute. If the books are titled after the element that Aang is learning, book four would be air, which would be a prequel season because he already learned air before he learned water. Uh-huh. So I think what I'm saying is I would, lo- I would love a prequel Aang series just of him goofing around with Monkey Yatso. And I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, though, that's interesting because Korra has a different naming convention. Yeah. Korra has a book called Spirits mm. and a book called Change. So interesting. while I doubt that Avatar Studios would go back and make additional books to the original series, because I feel like it's pretty self-contained and yeah, yeah. they're not going to want to touch it again or open it back up. If they did, they would have books to create that would match that structure for Korra. You're absolutely right. I wasn't even thinking about Korra because we're so far away from Korra, I feel like. But mm-hmm, still, we are. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. We're going to have a great time with the comics and then we'll get to Korra. Yes, absolutely. Well, here we are. Welcome to old people camp. Boomy welcomes the gang to their camp as Piandao tells Zuko where his uncle's tent is. Zuko hesitates for a moment and then walks up to his uncle's door and stops with the shame of his actions still looming over him. Zuko sits down on the grass and Katara walks up to see if he's okay. Zuko is worried that his uncle hates him after his betrayal and he can't bring himself to face Iroh. 
Katara asks if Zuko is sorry for what he did in that way that a mother knowingly asks her own child that same question. Mm-hmm. And Zuko has never been more sorry for anything in his entire life. Then he'll forgive you, Katara says with a soft smile on her face. He will. Zuko stands up and walks into the tent to see his uncle sleeping. Instead of waking him up, Zuko sits patiently on the floor in front of his uncle. Oh my gosh. My heart breaks for him. I know. And we just saw in the Umbrella Players, Toph reassures him that Iroh forgave him and only wants the best for him. But Zuko is here finally outside of his tent and he's still worried. Yeah, that just goes to show you how much he actually cares about his uncle's opinion and how much he values his uncle now, especially after all the events. So I'm running out of ways to say back on the island, but back on the (laughs) island, Aang tells Momo that the other avatars don't seem to understand his point of view. Momo chitters and Aang agrees that an air nomad avatar will definitely understand where he's coming from. Good job, Momo. Aang then acknowledges that he can't actually hear Momo talk, but just talking to the lemur really helps him out and helps him think. (laughs) I was wondering. I'm glad he cleared that up. Yeah. I'm like, wait, does he actually? Oh, okay. Never mind. No. No. Momo chitters again, and Aang is going to pretend that he didn't pretend to hear that. I love that line so much. Mm -hmm. Aang meditates again and summons Yang Chen, the former Air Nomad avatar. Aang goes over his teachings as an air nomad in that all life is sacred, even the life of the tiniest spider fly caught in its own web. And Yang Chen agrees. Aang smiles with the acceptance of this train of thought and humble brags that he's even a vegetarian and he's always tried to solve his problems by being quick and clever. <laughs> for, like it's, for me, this moment felt a lot like a fan meeting like a celebrity and being like, and I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. And right. I, aren't I the best? See, I'm a good air nomad. Yeah, I know exactly. my lessons. I'm living that life. He's looking for validation. Totally. Absolutely. He's only used violence when necessary and he's never taken a life before, which like I feel like I disagree with, but I'm not going to disagree with this like officially. But I feel like there's no way that he after all of the bending that he's done that no one died. He seems to forget that one time he shot a buzzard wasp out of the sky out of, you know, that's true. That's it was true. like a pure Sith moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He went so dark side in that moment, he doesn't even remember it. Mm-mm. Yang Chen tells the young airbender that this is about more than just his way of life and the teachings of the monks. This is about the world. Even though many great and wise air nomads have detached themselves and achieved spiritual enlightenment, the Avatar can never do this because the sole duty of the Avatar is to the world. Yang Chen leaves Ang with her piece of wisdom. Selfless duty calls to sacrifice his own spiritual needs and to do whatever it takes to protect the world. Well, mm-hmm. good trying. So much for that. <laughs> so much for your trying to use confirmation bias to only further your <laughs> actual point, Ang. But good try. Yep. So Yang Chen disappears and a defeated Ang comes out of his meditation just demolished. He's going to have to kill the Fire Lord. Ugh. Again, I love how they stack up the viewpoints of everyone around him, including his prior lives, to challenge his personal beliefs and make him think he's actually going to have to do this thing. Mm. The voice of Yang Chen, by the way, is none other than Tress McNeil, who also voiced Hama. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, Hama. Yeah. Very cool. Again, she seems very fitting for Yang Chen. Yeah. The two new characters that we heard voices for, I did not question. I did not like, it it wasn't jarring. It just fit. And it was really good. Mm-hmm. As the sun rises on camp old people, Iroh wakes <laughs> up to find Zuko staring at him. 
Iroh does not turn around after a solid stretch, but instead lets his nephew speak to his back. Uncle, I know you must have mixed feelings about seeing me, but I want you to know I am so, so sorry. I am so sorry and ashamed of what I did. I don't know how I can ever make it up to you. Iroh cannot hold in his feelings anymore as he hears Zuko crying and he grabs his nephew and holds him tight with tears of his own streaming down his face. I was never angry with you, Iroh tells Zuko. I was sad because I was afraid you had lost your way. Zuko tells Iroh that he did lose his way, but Iroh is proud that his nephew was able to find it again, and he did it all by himself. Uncle Iroh is happy that his nephew found his way here. Zuko notes that it wasn't hard since he does have a pretty strong scent. <laughs> yeah, way to lighten the mood. I This scene makes me sob every time. Know, and I'm even like tearing up just hearing it because God, again, talk about satisfying. We watch their relationship go from book one where Zuko doesn't even treat him like his uncle. He treats him like a caretaker or a trainer. And then we see him here after all of his false starts and betrayals and mixed up feelings. And Ira has just been steady and waiting for him this whole time. Like it's perfection. It's what it is. It absolutely is. Yeah, it was. I can't think of a better way just to wrap this all up right here than this moment. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what I think Zuko wanted in the jail cell in the beginning of the book. There you go. That is. Yeah. And it's more satisfying here after the additional adventures he's gone on with uh, Team Avatar. Also, good Lord, props to Dante Bosco. That one line where he's saying, I'm so, so sorry. And his voice breaks and you can hear him crying. Like that's what sends me off the deep end. And I'm like empathy crying with him. (laughs) So good. For me, the... The reading between the lines of that moment, too, is you have Zuko, this prince, this very proud individual who has allowed himself to just break down in front of his uncle. Mm -hmm. He is so humble in this moment. We've not seen that before, I don't think. Even when he was like going through all of his feelings on the beach with his sister and his girlfriend and his sister's weird friend. He still he he was angry, but he didn't break down in this. It was very cool to see him be so vulnerable. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Hopefully, this is the last time I will be saying back on the island. Ang notices that there are <laughs> mountains on the horizon now, and they appear to be getting bigger. Ang launches himself to the top of a tall tree and notices that the mountains aren't getting larger. The mountains are getting closer. The whole island is moving. Aang leaps into the water and dives down to find a giant paw moving past him. Aang swims to the surface and tells Momo that the island is the biggest animal in the world. Aang swims to the front of the animal to find its face and Momo flies overhead. Back at the camp, Zuko tries to convince his uncle to face Fire Lord Ozai, but Iroh refuses. He tells his nephew that it needs to be Aang who faces and defeats Ozai. Even if Iroh could defeat his brother, which he is not entirely convinced that he could, History would only remember this fight as a challenge to the throne and the senseless violence that erupted because of it. The only way to end this war peacefully is for the Avatar to defeat the Fire Lord. And then, then, would you take your rightful place on the throne? Zuko asks Iroh. Iroh rejects the notion and tells Zuko that someone new must take the throne. An idealist with a pure heart and unquestionable honor, Prince Zuko has to take the throne. Zuko reminds his uncle that he's made so many mistakes and Iroh agrees, but the most important thing is that he always followed his own path. Even through the suffering and the struggling, 
he managed to restore his honor. And now Zuko can restore his nation's honor. And that is the sound of a satisfying character arc coming full circle. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So Toph kind of worries that Aang might not show up to the battle, but Iroh seems pretty convinced that he will. Iroh then tells the group of a vision he had as a child where he saw himself taking the city of Ba Sing Se. But now with all the events that have kind of happened over the past year, he realizes that the events he saw were him taking the city of Ba Sing Se back from the Fire Nation so that the Earth Kingdom can be free again. I love that detail. Yeah. Like he had that vision as a, as a child, as a boy. Mm-hmm. And it was misunderstood up until this moment late in his life. That's so cool. Yes. And it's like, it's also this interpretation that he's always had through his life experiences. And now that he's almost at the tail end of his life, like he Mm -hmm. realizes that he was looking at it through the wrong lens, which I also like that. Yeah. And this is why he gathered the rest of the Order of the White Lotus. The Dragon of the West then tells Zuko that he must return to the Fire Nation immediately so that when Ozai falls, he can assume the throne and then restore peace, freedom, justice, and security. His new empire. Sorry. (laughs) Every time they say peace and justice or whatever it was, I just like think of Star Wars and I zone out for 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, geez, I got to stop and go back. But seriously, Zuko needs to go home and restore honor to his nation as the new Fire Lord. Azula will be waiting for him, but Zuko tells his uncle that he can handle his sister. Iroh's not so confident and does tell Zuko that he needs help. So Zuko asks Katara if she would like to join him and fight Azula and Katara (laughs) agrees. I feel like Katara would love nothing more than to fight Azula again in this moment. Yeah, like Suki on Boiling Rock, I think Katara has been waiting for this rematch. Yes, absolutely. Sokka asks the great general what the rest of them need to do. And Iroh just kind of throws the question back at Sokka and asks what he thinks he should do. Sokka comes to the conclusion that they need to do everything they can to stop the airship fleet. Toph smiles and adds that when Aang does face the Fire Lord, they'll all be right there if he needs them. Pandao gives Sokka, Suki, and Toph a giant eel hound and directions to the airship base where they can intercept the fleet within a day's journey. Sokka thanks his master and gives Pandao big old hug. This is so wholesome. I know. Oh my God. I know. Little detail that I love. Bryke loved Jaewoo Kim's eelhound design so much that they were bummed they couldn't have shown the creature more in the series. Yeah. And apparently Jaewoo Kim has been like so consistent with his designs. And most of the hybrid animals were done by him. They would come to him with a, a concept and be like, can you make this? And then he'd come back with this like incredible frightening design or super cool design. So because they loved the design so much, I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, yeah. I know this breaches into your episode for next week, but I do want to say this. The animation of the eelhound swimming is so yeah. good. I was watching that. I want that to be like a screensaver. I just watch <laughs> it swim forever. It was so yep. cool. Zuko asks his uncle what he will be doing after the battle. And Iroh says that he will reconquer his tea shop and play pie show every day. Okay. Okay. See, Avatar Studios, it's right there. You set it up for us. Uncle Iroh's tea adventures is meant to happen. Please make us that show. Also, everyone should be extremely happy that I did not write any part of Avatar was a showrunner because with this line, I would have killed off Iroh in the battle. 100%. I would have 100% do it. I would have let him have this big dream and it's nice and peaceful and everything. And I would have, (laughs) he would have been gone. So that's, that's just me. Goodbye, everyone. Today, destiny is our friend. I know it. Iroh says as everyone heads towards their destiny. 
I'm not going to say it, but Aang finally reaches the front of the giant animal and dives underwater to find a giant eye staring back at him. Oh, back on the island, you mean? We're back on the island. <laughs> this episode cut so many times. I was just like, come <laughs> on. I was crying typing. I was like, my fingers, they hurt so much. Island, camp, island, camp, oh, island, geez, camp. So much. The giant creature surfaces and the force of this causes Aang to be pulled out of the ocean. When the water has settled, Aang finds himself standing on the paw of a lion turtle and staring it right in the eyes. The lion turtle is the island. Aang bows in respect and asks the giant creature its advice on taking Ozai's life. The lion turtle speaks. The true mind can weather all the lies and illusions without being lost. The true heart can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. Since beginningless time... Darkness thrives in the void, but always yields to purifying light. Ah, oh, chills. By the way, really quickly, the voice of the lion turtle is none other than Kevin Michael Richardson, who is the voice of Tyro, the big bad hippo, and the tax collector from the same episode we met Tyro in. Oh, okay. With some uh, reverb added. Yes, absolutely. A bunch. <laughs> really well done. I liked the Lion Turtle's voice a lot. And also just too. this moment, I remember the first time watching this series and being so enchanted and in awe with the concept of a creature this old being alive and for Aang to have met it. Like yeah. it's one of those moments where you meet something that is just larger than life beyond words and you're alone. And so you're the only person who has that story. I don't know if that happens to anyone else. Maybe not in our world, but definitely <laughs> in the Avatar world. And also the creators drew inspiration for the Lion Turtle in particular while they were touring Seoul to find the right animation studio to work on the test pilot for them. So they recall actually seeing a turtle statue with an engraved monolith on its back, which also stirred their childhood memories of Morla, the giant turtle in the never-ending story, and the collective world turtle myths that they had encountered. World turtle myths are particularly evident in Chinese and indigenous American mythology and culture, but it also bears a resemblance to the Zeratan or Zeratan, grandiose sea turtles found in literature and folklore, whose shells are also easily mistaken for small islands. So it's really cool to note the fact that the lion turtle has been in Brike's minds since before the pilot. Yeah. They were always intending to bring him in. So the fact that we finally get to see him officially in the finale is awesome. But as we've pointed out before, we've seen the image of him a couple times or image of them because it's a whole species. Yeah. So gosh, thinking back, you know, we saw it on General Fong and General Sung's pauldrons. They had the head of a lion turtle as one of them. Oh, that's right. Um, there was a painting of a lion turtle depicted in a scroll within Wan Shi Tong's library. Aang and Sokka hid behind a lion turtle's statue outside the Earth Kingdom Royal Palace mm. while they were devising a plan to meet Earth King Kuei. Pian Dao compared Sokka's courage and heart to a lion turtle and also his yeah. manor had like a lot of statues all over the place. And yeah. it goes on from there. There's like a door knocker on Ember Island. It even appeared in the unaired pilot, too, as a statue behind Aang. I really like the meta of that. Yeah. Of the lion turtle has just been following Aang throughout this whole adventure. It's really cool. Even from before, from the pilot, even. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's what that's I mean. super cool. Are we the lion turtle? <laughs> no, that's the stupidest theory I've ever come up with. <laughs> No, but really, I love that he's been there the whole time, kind of like us as the audience. You know, we've been there since the beginning, too. Yeah. Watching the journey. 
Very much in the same vein, I really enjoy the lion turtle showing up because it gives this like mythological presence that was needed for this this series. Like mm-hmm. everything is based in this crazy fantasy, amazing world. But there's this basis in reality that I think allows us to kind of believe the events that are happening. Like we believe people can firebend because firebending is based on real world martial arts. And that gives it that like grounding that we need. And all of a sudden there's just this giant mythological creature that is wise. Uh, we'll learn in a moment has special abilities. Like it's unbelievable. And of course he presents himself to Aang. I don't know if any other avatars have had this kind of encounter with such a amazing, unbelievable creature. But I think that this was Aang's destiny and it led him to this being who gives him what he needs to continue. And it's just yeah. like, it, it really is just when you add that extra pinch of salt and it just makes the dish complete. I'm hungry again. Exactly. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> You're right though. It, it does hit differently. And to kind of like build off of what you were saying about, we've established this world with rules and realities of bending and culture and lifestyle. We were kind of missing this ancient element aside from the avatar spirit, which is the only symbol or the only reference to there being an ancient history with Mm. potentially creatures that are powerful, like the avatar, like this is kind of the confirmation of it. And we'll see this taken to the next step in Korra, because I do remember that. We see the lion turtle again (gasps) and learn a little bit more. Yeah. I can't wait. Okay. Okay. So the lion turtle gives his amazingly deep speech and then... (laughs) Deep in two ways. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Ang amazing. Sorry. Ang amazing. Ang amazing. The giant animal then places its claws on Ang. One, it's like the same hand one claw on Aang's forehead and the other on his chest and a bright green light envelops the avatar. The lion turtle gently places Aang on a small cliff and leaves him with these final words. Wait for him. He will come. Aang bows to the lion turtle as the mythical creature swims away. Aang is now ready for his fight. Oh my gosh. So a couple times throughout that sequence, we see the lion turtle's face, right? Yes. Cool detail. They actually had a mega high level of detail in the Lion Turtles design when they first came up with him early in production of the whole series. Mm. Obviously, as they've mentioned a couple of times and we've talked about, their designs have to get simplified to work in final animation. So the detail they intended for the Lion Turtle did sort of come through, but it wasn't as much as they wanted it to be. However, it is the only creature and character to be painted as opposed to drawn as a cartoon. So those shots of like the lion turtle's face, you'll notice it pans up and down because it's an illustration, not animation. Yeah. Uh, Mike and Brian did mention in the commentary that they weren't super thrilled. This is the only time they've, I've watched, I've listened to so much of their commentary and I still can't really tell them apart. I'm sorry, but they did mention that this is one of the few times that they were not thrilled with how it came out. They had so mm-hmm. many different versions and like this was the best one, but they weren't like happy with it necessarily. And that's something that happens in animation. Like you have an idea, whether it's super complex or super easy, and sometimes it just doesn't work. This was one of those things that they needed in the show. They couldn't cut it. So they took their best cut. And I think it looked it looked different, but I think that's the point for me is yeah. how I kind of read it. Is like this creature, we can almost not comprehend it in the same space as the Avatar world. Like it's so different. So out there, it's almost like 
you know how you have those like tropes of like an alien coming down and being like, you can't comprehend what I like. Exactly. What I see is it just my interpretation was that. So it's from a world apart. So it makes sense for it to look a little different. Exactly. Um, Exactly. But if you're listening and you are curious to know what the lion turtle was supposed to look like, if you just Google lion turtle concept art, you'll see a couple sketches and it's gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) Highly detailed and rendered. It's time for the world to end in fire and for a new world to be born from the ashes, Ozai says as Sozin's comet enters the atmosphere, burning the once peaceful skies of their blue hue and leaving them orange. To be continued. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we broke up the finale into two parts part one and two, and then three and four, because that felt very cohesive. Yeah. Those two parts side by side. Yes. I do. I forgot to mention this and I forgot to make a note because I'm, I'm me. I did want to note something in the flashback scene with Ozai, Zuko, and Azula and the generals. Did you notice how Ozai was talking to Azula? Mm-hmm. It was like very soft and very different from how he usually talks. Like I thought Mark Hamill was doing a bad job. I was like, he forgot Ozai's voice. And then he continues it in here. So I think we just saw favoritism from Ozai firsthand in front of Zuko. I think you're right. And it was wild. I just, I've, I wanted, I've been wanting to talk to you about that all week. And then I almost forgot to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. And we're going to see that kind of carried to the next stage in the next couple episodes. Yeah. Because Azula has basically fallen out of favor with Ozai because she lied to him and she deceived him. And so... He's not very happy with her. And we see it first when she's asking what the plan is for them going to the Earth Kingdom. So, yes, I think that was an intentional performance. And with it being Mark Hamill, I'm not surprised. That was Mm -hmm. probably a decision that was made with him and Andrea. But, yeah, we knew Ozai had favoritism towards Azula. But that really kind of confirmed it for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So now that we've summarized the episode, we're here. And much like everyone listening, I need to know. Who is your MVP (laughs) of all of what just happened? I'm thinking back going, how can I even choose? So much has happened. Everyone basically was on stage in some form or fashion. You know, I think I have to give it to Aang, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because he goes on his own journey in these two episodes, but his journey is based on his resolute hope that he can find another way to achieve his goal, to honor his responsibilities, but then also still honor his morals and the things that he grew up learning. So like the fact that he had multiple arguments, multiple conversations and didn't back down every single time, even up to the point where he's on the lion turtle talking to his previous lives who are all saying the same thing. And he's still like, I don't want to do this. I need to find another way. That shows strength of character for him in a way that we haven't seen to date. And I think that that earns him MVP. I agree with you 100%. But so we're not picking the same person because I was also thinking <laughs> yeah. Aang. People are going to riot. I'm going to pick Momo because oh he, never, he never <laughs> left Aang's side. Aww. Whenever things go really bad or really weird for Aang, Momo is there. And that trend continued. And I really liked it. Don't get me wrong. Like, if I could just say everyone is the MVP of this, I would. But I feel like Rob would have to make like 500 more columns in the spreadsheet. And that's <laughs> yeah. not that's not right. We can give honorable mentions, just that's like a true. blanket honorable mention yeah, to everyone not mentioned here yes. as MVP. Because, I mean, yeah, everyone's great. We have the Order of the White Lotus characters. We have our core team avatar team. We have Zuko. 
we have the lion turtle. Like the lion turtle even has honorable mention because he came out of the woodwork to help mm. Aang get to where he needs to be. So we have a lot of MVPs in this episode, I would argue. Also boomy. Also boomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what is your moral of the episode? That's also a toughie. Mm. I think I'm going to have to build off of what the lion turtle said, though, that there's always light that can combat dark if you just look for it. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I think for me, the moral of the episode is also that. But again, so we're not picking the same thing. Because I think this episode is very, these two episodes and this actually, this whole finale is very specifically designed for us to pick the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's very linear and like direct and what it's trying to get across. Right. But it like kind of like digging through the weeds a little bit, so to speak. I believe that the other moral of the episode is that it's it's never too late to ask for forgiveness in here. Ooh, yep. That's a great one. I really did enjoy seeing the end of Zuko's arc and well, as close to the end as we're going to get before the actual finale, yep. but really tying up those loose ends. Like if we never saw Zuko again from here, I personally would be okay. I know a lot of people wouldn't because he still has to face off against his sister and you have to close that loop too. But this felt so final to me because mm-hmm. for me, this was the relationship that I most cared about throughout the whole series. Yeah. It does have a satisfying conclusion type of feel to it. Yeah. We joke about like Katara and Aang being like the ship that we love and all that. And while that's true, the relationship that I think everyone's meant to care about the most is Iroh and Zuko. So I know just totally hats off. Absolutely. And that is part one of our Avatar The Last Airbender series finale. I hope you all enjoyed this unprecedentedly long episode. This might be the longest episode that we've ever made to date. This probably, it, my voice is gone. I drank <laughs> yep. all of my water and my backup water that I prepared just for this episode. Oh, gosh. It's just done. Done. Sandbenders in my mouth right now at this point. <laughs> well, let's get through our shout outs and we'll wrap things up. Yes. So as always, if you're caught up on all the episodes and you've watched all of the Avatar episodes as well as the Angmail and you're still looking for a little more time to hang out with me, you can always join me over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We play games. We have a lot of fun. We talk in the beginning for a good 30 minutes to an hour. Whenever basically I stop stalling and start the game. <laughs> uh, you could also find me on Twitter and, and TikTok and basically anywhere else where you can find Booster Greg. It's most likely me. So uh, come say hi. And you can find me online at Acorn Bandit or Joyce on Studio, which is J-O-I-S-A-N-S dot com or Joyce on's Studio on Etsy. That's right. And again, a big special thanks to everyone who left five-star reviews, who are emailing us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com, and who are also choosing to support the podcast in other means by going over to patreon.com slash avatarthepodcast. We have now four episodes of Secret Podcasts up, and I think they're all absolutely amazing. And I hope that <laughs> they are. I have so much fun doing them. And if anyone is looking to support us in additional ways, head over there. You get a bunch of bonus content. There's AMAs. We have our doodle page. Oh my God, our doodle page for this month is going to be so retrospective. I, I thought the last one was enough. I think yeah. this one's going to be more going to be amazing yep but yeah patreon.com slash avatar the podcast coming up next time the final battle and ang's third option all this and more next time on avatar Avatar, the the Podcast. podcast
Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 